Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. So yeah, good morning, Mercy Church. Morning, morning. My name is Gavin Sublet, and like you said, I moved here from Texas, but I'm honestly convinced that if more Texans knew how beautiful it was out here, they'd just leave and let the Californians have Austin. (laughs) So I'm not converting any sports teams in any way, shape, or form, but I do like it here, okay? So show a little grace. What a blessing it's been to go through Exodus. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. And while we uh, turn there, um, yeah, just a little bit about myself. I grew up in Dallas, went to college near Houston, and I met my wife. We've been married five and a half years, have a beautiful two and a half little uh, mocha baby named Makai who uh, got all of his mom's hair. Don't know how that's going to look when he gets older, but we will figure that out as it comes along. Uh, you'll understand what I mean by that when you see him. Um, and, and just so you know, um, yeah, so Pastor Rashar is actually one that I, I met first. He started to kind of... Um, yeah, mentored me on the side. And one day he was like, maybe you should come check out and see what we got going on out here. And so the first time I actually came to the East Coast was for my interview. And the second time I ever came to the East Coast was when I loaded, loaded up all our stuff and drove out here. So that was, you want to talk about stepping on a little bit of faith. Um, God is so good. <laughs> He's consistent. Let me just pray for us real quick one more time. And then I will, uh, yeah, we'll jump right into God's word. Um, dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. Lord, and I am just so in awe of how you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that you allow me just to move completely out of the way and just be completely empty, Lord, so that I might be filled with your spirit. God, and that you might have your way with your servant this morning, God. Lord, um, God, be with the ears that hear and the hearts to receive. God, and let your grace just rain down upon us today. Uh, we ask all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unto the eternal Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's a true statement we've been saying over and over again since we started this book of Exodus, um, and Pastor Spence has been saying it repeatedly, is that the most important thing in our lives is what we believe about God. Uh, Last week, he also um, preached on this uh, powerful statement that God is, and we talked about God's holiness and how his fire is is purifying. I would even argue that, that the central theme of the book of Exodus is God's holiness, um, he, he, he spoke on the all too familiar story of the burning bush, right? If we grew up in Sunday school, then you've definitely heard that story before. And, and, and where God finally reveals himself to Moses and he tells him his name for the first time. And the interesting thing that I would like to just touch on before we get into Exodus 4 is that before, when Moses approaches the bush, God asks him to remove his sandals because Moses was entering holy ground. And the ground and the bush themselves were insignificant until they were approached by the presence of God. All throughout scripture, we see the same miracle take place in the hearts of men, mere men, that on our own, we are not holy. And so whenever we encounter God face to face, that relationship calls us to things that would be impossible on our own and even seem contradictory to our neighbor because we ourselves are insignificant until we are approached by the presence of God. So that brings us here to where we left off last week in Exodus chapter four, where God is then laying out the plan that he designed Moses specifically for you might be asking yourself, how could we see a person in Scripture who gets a direct revelation about God 
uh, and about the purpose that God has for his life that he was created to do and yet argue with the ultimate creator in the universe who rules and reigns on his throne and does as he pleases. And my answer to you today, Mercy Church, is that we struggle with the calling of God because of the nature of God. We must be very careful not to get prideful in thinking that we would be so quick to accept the task that God called us to just because it was direct revelation. I would even argue that not only do we struggle in everyday tasks that are clearly painted out in scripture, but dang, we wouldn't even recognize our Savior if he walked into this very room right now because we have a tendency to be so focused on ourselves. What I want us to be thinking about today is as we dive into Exodus 4 today, is that as I studied this passage, what God revealed to me was that Moses agreed with God's mission, but he was doubting his own assignment as it relates to God's plan. And it was for a few different reasons. Moses was self-focused. Number one was that Moses was so self-focused that it led him to doubt. Number two was that Moses placed his confidence in what God was trying to show, or had, sorry, had Moses placed his confidence in what God was trying to show him, he would have been more confident in the calling that God was calling him to. And last but not least is that God's provision always prevails. He gave Moses an assignment, and when Moses doubted, God gracefully offers him four means of provision to help equip him and fulfill the assignment that he was given. Because we serve a God who will call us to accomplish things that are impossible on our own, but he is faithful to subsequently equip us to carry out his will. And I believe that as we dive into this text today, we can resonate with Moses as he looks at his calling head on. I'm confident that as believers, we'll be able to learn from the places that Moses erred and be able to reevaluate our own walks with Jesus. And if you're a non-believer in this room and you just got us uh, hear us singing about how this being who's the living hope and he's always faithful and he always fulfills his promises, then hopefully as you look at this text today, you can see that he's worthy of not only our praise, but our trust as well. Exodus chapter four, the most important thing that I'll say this entire time, starting in verse one. And then Moses answered, what if they won't believe me? And will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He replied, throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a stake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So some of y'all are sitting here thinking like, Gavin, I can relate to Moses perfectly so far in this story, and I must be very biblical because I probably would have ran from that snake too. <laughs> and what I don't want us to miss here is the symbolism that the, that the Egyptians would have recognized the staff and looked at it and saw it was, it was a symbol of authority. And, and, and whenever God had it turned into a snake, another thing that Egyptians would have recognized is it was a popular but not powerful African deity that took the form of a snake. And so when God telling him to turn the staff into um, a, a snake or tell him to throw it on the ground and turn to a snake and then pick it up and transform it back is the first form of provision that God shows his sovereignty over nature and, the re and reality, but also that he's more powerful than anything that we would have recognized as a deity other than himself because Yahweh is the one true living God. In verse 6, in addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased and resembling snow. And he put his hand back inside his cloak, and he said, uh, he said, and so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it again became like the rest of his skin. For those of us who didn't grow up in a household with a black mom like myself, um, she used to say this statement to us all the time when we get in trouble. She'd be like, Gavin, or whichever one of my brothers, if you do that one more time, I will slap the black off of you. <laughs> Little did I know that my mom was carrying out biblical miracles in the form of discipline. 
<laughs> One time my oldest brother was talking back to her so much that I thought she was going to carry out the last plague, you know, about the blood of the lamb and the firstborn, but I'm not trying to get too ahead of the story. <laughs> but here in this text, what I don't want us to miss again, all jokes aside, is that here God is showing his sovereignty in that he's giving Moses an advanced form of a skin disease and he heals it instantly. See, this would have terrified his audience at first, but then intrigued him once he ended it. And so in the next verse, in verse 8, he says, if they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe that the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. So this brings me to my first point, that self-focus inevitably leads to self-doubt. The first thing that Moses even said out of his mouth was that he was doubting God. But what we see how God responds is that he displays his power through Moses to communicate a message to brief, and just to briefly address the, the last symbol, the blood and the water. Let's just imagine for a second how central water was to the life of an Egyptian during this time, especially in this climate. And God is even showing that even then I can take your very water, that's the, the sustenance of life, and I can turn it into blood. And either way, the point is we know that we can trust God because he shows us what he is capable of. The entire message of the Bible is God displaying his power through either miracles or through his creation. And even through foundational commands like the Great Commission, the miracle of salvation for us. The reason any of us are even sitting in this room right now because we were uh, drawn in by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those things are impossible without God. And some of us in this room used to sin like nobody's business. Some of us still do without any type of conviction. I know about y'all, but I, I was pretty good at it. <laughs> But now as believers, we have a different relationship with our sin. And as we walk as a redeemed people whose hearts begin to hate the things that God hates and start to love the things that God loves, and within itself is a miracle of God's power. One of my mentors used to tell me that early on that, that in my discipleship journey that the selfishness was the root of all of our sin, and that we are constantly making decisions throughout our day, um, that we're constantly making decisions throughout our day that, that are based on what we want and what we desire, and, and it's selfishness. And, and we, like Moses, still, even in that, are diverting our attention away from God and, and not looking at the things that he's calling us to look at. So looking at this text begs us to ask the question, are we being God-focused or are we being self-focused? In verse 10, Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. And the Lord said to him, who has placed the mouth on humans and who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Which brings me to my second point. A God focus creates a confidence in God's calling. We see God's character being displayed here um, in, in that we place limitations um, and, and the confidence in God helps us to accomplish the assignments that he gives us. We also see this um, articulated in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And we, you don't have to turn there, but it should be up. But it says, it says that as he was passing, talking about Jesus by, it's talking about Jesus, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And neither this man or his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. So in this scripture, along with Exodus 4, is the single-handedly destroys the misconception that every time, excuse me, every time we have something wrong with us that we'd rather fix, it isn't always punishment. God answered Moses' insecurities 
And I can bet that he has an answer to yours too. Like big picture moment for a second. Every generation is commissioned by God to carry out what he's called us to do. Not by our own power, but due to the faithfulness in him. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be a part of the generation that looks at God when he's calling us. And we look back and, see, and we say, well, God, but I, I just can't. Like for me, one of my big insecurities is my vision. As you can clearly see with these glasses on, not only can I see what you had for breakfast this morning by doing x-ray in your stomach, I can probably tell you, looking to the future, tell you how many kids you're going to have. <laughs> and that's literally in my past kept me from engaging in conversations with people because of my insecurities. And I allowed, allowed it to hold me back, and that's one of the areas that I'm flawed. And yours might not be that simple. Yours might be, well, my past are too dark. Or, or my finances are too shallow, or my trauma is just too crippling, or my family did so much damage to me and they still do it to this day. My spouse and I can't seem to get on the same page and I feel like they're holding me back, but I'm not as good as this person, I'm not as faithful as that person. Not saying that we don't need help at times, or that we don't need to, or that we're not even allowed to ask God questions, but as we stand in the shadow of the Most High, we cannot let those be excuses forever. We see that in the context of John 9 that certain people have certain ailments or defects that God is more than able to put on display for his glory. God never wastes a good opportunity in our lives for us to suffer for his glory. Even more specifically, God pulls the ultimate uno draw four card, throws it down and how he responds to Moses. Like Moses acts like God is just sitting up there saying like, yeah, I'm only the one supreme author of life itself who heard the cries of your people for generations. And I, I gave you life through the biggest baby boy genocide that had happened at this time. I raised you up in Pharaoh's house through a statistical anomaly just so that you'd even have an, aud an audience with arguably the most powerful leader in existence at this time. But I forgot that you had a speech impediment. I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> Not to mention, Moses was tripping about a speech impediment when he killed somebody two chapters ago. Like, bro, you got a few bigger fish to worry about, fam. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, that hood comes out a little bit. I try to rein it back. But that was like me talking to Moses' face. All right, cool. So God <laughs> chooses Moses to fulfill this purpose, fully aware of the plight that he's in. And he displays that in the way that he, he, he displays that in the way that he orchestrated your life as well, because God has a calling for each and every one of you too. And through that calling, God is sovereign over our ailments, our restrictions, our limitations that we uh, walk with. He, he created you with them when he knitted you together in your mother's room. Shout out to Psalm 139. God's purpose. I love that a baby started crying when the song. That was perfect. You can't write this stuff. <laughs> God's purpose will sometimes call us beyond our capabilities only to stare our insecurities in the face to the point to where the only plausible explanation is that God carried us. And to that I say, thank God. Because as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't want to think for a second that we're operating in our own power in any aspect of our lives. If you're new to mercy, and maybe you've been, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and you might be sitting on the sidelines wondering, how can I start this journey? It, shouldn't, it should, doesn't always start with a burning bush moment, and, and sometimes it's as simple as finding out what your next step is. And here at Mercy, we not only help people take that next step closer to Jesus, but we love that, we'd love to make disciples who will make disciples who, who love God, love their neighbor, and love our world. And, and for starters, if you're in this room for the first time wondering, well, like Pastor Jake said a second ago, yeah, we're going to have starting point right after this where you can sit down and get information about our church. And, but through that, I'd recommend that you get plugged in a biblical community through one of our community groups because isolation, uh, you cannot follow Jesus in, in, in isolation by yourself. Growth happens in community. 
And then in the second part, I would say that we have plenty of needs right now, and this is kind of a shameless plug, but in, in parking and our next steps and our children's, none of that has been the same since COVID came and gave us the most awkward and long spring break that none of us signed up for. <laughs> we believe that as you serve in different areas in our church, it's a lot, way more than just showing up to do a task, but to help develop disciples of Jesus and to grow them into leaders. And so as you work your way around trying to get involved here at this church, just please just stick around, ask questions, all of our information's online. And I guarantee that over time, as you make the effort to step out on faith, God will begin to reveal himself to you. And he'll take a picture that might seem a little bit fuzzy for you at the moment. And it'll help make it a lot more clear. Back to the text in verse 13. Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And then he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and also that he is on his way to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. I just want to take a quick second to point out, I feel like we should pay special attention to places in scripture when God starts asking people questions that he already knows the answer to. There's usually a reason. Continuing in the text, verse 15, you will speak with him and tell him what to say and I will help both you and him speak and I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you. And you will serve as a God to him. And I will take this staff and, and take this staff in your hand that you will perform signs with. Which brings me to my third and final point, Mercy Church. God's provision always prevails. Despite our objections, our hesitations, our limitations, insecurities, we ultimately see that we have a God who cares for us. Because while Moses was talking, Aaron was already on his way. <laughs> a scripture that I love that highlights what we just saw here is found in Psalm uh, 133. And you don't have to turn there, it's really short. Um, but I'm just going to reference it real quick and, then it, and it'll just help drive this point. It says in verse 1, uh, starting there, it says, Behold how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. Running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mount of Zion. For there, the Lord has commended a blessing, life forevermore. I could preach a whole sermon on this psalm alone. As a matter of fact, I have, but for the sake of time, I'll keep it simple. Not only does this verse reference Aaron by name, it's referring to him, but it's saying that when brothers dwell in unity, it is good and pleasant because back then it was hard for families to exist so near each other as they grew because of limited resources. And so whenever they could dwell together, it was like oil. Biblically, oil is like a representation of God's presence. It's rich and it's satisfying. And then like the dew at the mountaintop where the water may be scarce for some forms of life, right? Unity can be the provision that God gives us in places where it seems scarce. <laughs> Which leads us to the fourth and final provision that God gives Moses assistance through Aaron. He shows us that he's not some sadistic puppet master that just likes to watch us squirm. And in this instance, I almost see God as, as a coach who not only empowers us, but he encourages us. God's anger was kindled against Moses. Yes, absolutely. But even in God's frustration, there's still provision. Now, now what I'm not saying is that we get to take his grace and understanding for weakness and that we should keep walking in disobedience when God is calling you to do something. I'm not saying that at all. But, but here we see that God doesn't even show the same type of selfish frustration that we show. 
And, and even in God's anger and his hatred of sin, he still sends us Jesus to die for our sins to make a way for us to have right relationship with him. Since I've been here in Charlotte, I've gotten to explore quite a bit of the city. My wife and I have had a blast. Still so much to see. I told her we can just do staycations for the next like two years and <laughs> we'll be fine. Save a lot of money that way. <clears throat> but since I've been here in Charlotte, I've gotten to learn more about our city and learn more about our church, and I discovered something really cool this past week that I was even unaware of that happened. Um, the past five months, our church has hosted this special group called Proven Men. And, and this is a group of men who not all necessarily belong to our church, but, but they meet weekly because they have identified the sin in their lives, specifically in the form of sexual addiction, and they've decided that they were tired of sitting on the sidelines and they wanted to quit making excuses and go to war for their spiritual well-being, their mental health, their marriages, and their families. Shout out to them for graduating last week. One of the graduates said something during this time that uh, I had to just share it because it stood out to me. He confessed that whenever he was introduced, that he was introduced to Jesus at a young age, but finally upon deciding to put his excuses aside and be a part of something that would help him take action in his fight for freedom, he began to not only see Jesus as the one who saved him from his sin, that's the kicker, he said, but as his Lord who deserves to be followed and submitted to. Church, when we finally decide to put our excuses and insecurities aside, <laughs> and take up our cross and follow Jesus, he takes us on a journey that goes so far beyond what we could even possibly imagine for ourselves. This morning, we're about to take part in communion. And as Jesus broke the bread and distributed the wine, he instructed us to do that in remembrance of him. Um, and as the worship team begins to make their way up here, I want us just to ponder for a second that what if the next time we were faced with a task that we knew that we just couldn't accomplish on our own. Before we started making excuses and listing out our insecurities, that we shifted our focus outward to the Lord instead, instead of the internal focus that causes doubt, instead of focusing on our limitations, any reason that we could hesitate when God is calling us to follow him, we could take over the city. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, and we just praise your heavenly and holy name. God, I'd like to thank you so much for it. Lord, the way that you reveal yourself to us, Lord, through the text. <laughs> God, I humbly ask, Father God, that as we partake in communion this morning, Lord Jesus, you allow us to just quit focusing internally on ourselves, God, but we begin to meditate on the goodness of God who judges justly. God, I humbly pray and ask that your word, God, as you promise us, it never returns void. God, that we just allow it to impact our hearts today. Lord, so that as we look at you face to face and we hear the calling that you placed on our lives, God, that we might change and never be the same. God, we ask all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit unto the eternal Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.